This is The Saucer Life, a podcast in which we examine concepts, events, or people orbiting the world of flying saucers. Few preconceptions, snark when justified, no belief, no debunking. Today, we're going back to Florida by way of Augsburg, West Germany, as it was at the time, to look at the very strange story of the Gulf Breeze 6, and particularly the role of a man named Vance Davis. On the surface, This isn't a story that seems to fit solidly within the UFO realm, but it occurred in the midst of some of the Gulf Breeze sightings milieu, and as we'll see, there are elements that definitely fit into some of the broader themes that we cover here on the show. So without further ado, let's dive in. It's always difficult to know how exactly to structure stories that take place from several points of view. For the Gulf Breeze 6 story, I decided to handle things in the usual saucer life manner rather than doing anything weird and nonlinear. So what that means is that we'll be looking at the story initially through the eyes of how the public would have seen it with contemporary primary sources inserted where appropriate as usual. So in keeping with that approach, let's turn to the newspapers of Florida and wire services around the country in July of 1990. And first, we're with our old friend, the Gulf Breeze Sentinel, for Thursday, July 19th, 1990. Page 9A, if you want to check it out. Six arrested for deserting U.S. Army. Six U.S. Army soldiers were taken into custody by military authorities for being AWOL and transported to Fort Benning, Georgia, last Saturday. The six were apprehended after one of the soldiers, Michael J. Huckstadt, was stopped by Gulf Breeze police officer Don Stevens for a broken taillight. Huckstadt had no identification, and a computer check found him to be one of six soldiers wanted for being absent without official leave, or AWOL. Four of the soldiers were found at Anna Foster's home on McClure Drive in Gulf Breeze, and one, a female, was staying at a campsite at Fort Pickens. When police went to the Foster home Saturday morning, the soldiers had several duffel bags, suitcases and briefcases, and about $4,000 in cash. The six belonged to a group called The End of the World, and claimed they came to this area for the rapture, which they believe will take place here in October. The soldiers have been sought by authorities since July 9th when they were found missing from their military intelligence unit in West Germany. Gulf Breeze Police Chief Jerry Brown said that no arrests were made and they were turned over to the CIA and FBI before going to Fort Benning. Michael J. Hoekstadt, 19, is from Parson, Wyoming. The other five soldiers are William N. Setterberg, 20, of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Kenneth G. Beeson, 26, of Middlesbrough, Tennessee, Vance A. Davis, 25, of Wichita, Kansas, Chris P. Perlock, 20, of Hudson, Wisconsin, and Annette Eccleston, 22, of Connecticut. The next day, the Northwest Florida Daily News covered the story and had an even more alarming headline. Six AWOL soldiers said they aimed to kill Antichrist. 
Six soldiers, reported by an unofficial military newspaper to be on a mission to kill the Antichrist, were charged Thursday with desertion from their intelligence unit in West Germany, Pentagon spokesman said. A friend also told another newspaper that one of the soldiers arrested in this Florida panhandle city, a hotbed for UFO sightings, was interested in unidentified flying objects and wanted to attend a UFO convention in nearby Pensacola. The soldier's religion was said to be some kind of Christian fundamentalism, but an army spokesman said that, by law, their religion doesn't really fall within the scope of the investigation. There is currently also a counterintelligence investigation underway to determine whether or not secure information had been leaked. These were intelligence analysts who knew cryptological stuff. They had access to some pretty sensitive information. At that point, it seemed that there wasn't any evidence of actual espionage. Actually, things seem to be sounding much stranger than something as boring and straightforward as espionage. A member of their unit told the newspaper Stars and Stripes the six were out to find and destroy the Antichrist, the figure the Bible says will challenge Christ. He spoke on the condition his name would not be disclosed. Padilla, an army spokesman at the Pentagon, Wednesday retracted an earlier statement that the six were members of a group known as the End of the World. But Stars and Stripes quoted the soldier from the Augsburg unit as saying that the cult has additional members in the area. There are others who are upset because they didn't get invited to go along in the search for Antichrist, the newspaper quoted the soldier as saying. So, what do we know about these soldiers? Was there any indication that they might have been prone to engaging in this kind of bizarre and unexpected behavior? Well, yes. Beeson, one of the group, was interested in science fiction and UFOs and very gullible, Stan Johnson told the Pensacola News Journal for a story published Thursday. Johnson, a Morristown photographer, said in a telephone interview that he picked up Beeson and Hoekstadt July 6th at the Tyson-McGee Airport in Knoxville, Tennessee. He was one of those people who believed anything someone would tell him, Johnson said of Beeson. The idea that he was arrested or that he was hanging out with cult-like groups didn't surprise me. He kind of lived in a science fiction fantasy world sometimes. Beeson told Johnson he was going to Pensacola for a UFO convention. Ah, so they were headed to that epic 1990 MUFON convention in Pensacola. Interesting. Or maybe not. The convention took place July 6th through 8th. But Gulf Breeze Police Chief Jerry Brown explained that the people had not been sighted in Gulf Breeze until July 9th. So if their intention was to go to the MUFON convention, they missed it. But Beeson had told other people that the MUFON convention was their destination. Beeson told a similar story to his sister and her husband, Carolee and Charles Reed, when he spent the night July 7th at their home in Talbot, Tennessee, the Knoxville News Sentinel reported Thursday. The Reeds said Beeson had met a woman named Anna when he was stationed in Pensacola, and she got him involved with a group that believed the government was covering up alien visits to Earth. Part of the group's mission was to reveal that cover-up. The newspaper saw input from MUFON official Donald Ware, who we've heard of before in our other Gulf Breeze episodes. Ware claimed that MUFON has not made any such policy statement about the government covering up alien visits to Earth, which is hair-splitting of the highest order, honestly, because MUFON was, at many levels, deeply committed to the notion that there was a cover-up going on, whether or not they had issued an official statement specifically saying that. 
at any given time. About a week later, there was more news of the six runaway soldiers. On July 26th, the Daily News carried the headline, UFO soldiers won't face court-martial, reporting that although they won't be court-martialed, many questions still remain. Were the six, five men and a woman acting on psychic input from biblical figures and preparing for the world's end, as a friend of one suggested? Did they plan to move to the West and live like a survivalist group, as a police captain said he was told by two in the group? Or was there another explanation of the events that began unfolding when the six, who held top-secret security clearances, left the 701st Military Intelligence Brigade in Augsburg, West Germany, early this month? Don't judge them yet. They have a right to defend themselves, said Anna Foster, at whose Gulf Breeze, Florida home four of the six were arrested July 14th. Foster, a civilian, described by authorities as a psychic, is not charged in the case. The Army offered the six non-judicial punishment, no trial by court-martial, after an investigation by the Army Intelligence and Security Command found no evidence of espionage. At Fort Knox, Kentucky, where the six were being held, Major Ron Mazia said they could receive reductions in pay or rank or both and could be fined. Specific terms will be determined by an officer acting as a sentencing judge. Having lost their security clearances, the six might be discharged, Mazia said. Two days later, it was reported that their fate had been decided. The army had discharged all six of them, and they were out of the army. There had been no evidence that the soldiers had been involved in any espionage, even though they were AWOL. Now, Stan Johnson, who we heard before, who was a friend of uh, Specialist Beeson, said that Beeson told him they had been, quote, chosen by divine intervention to help prepare for the end of the world, which was supposed to occur in about eight years from now. End quote. Johnson also added that Jesus Christ was going to be coming back in a spaceship. Now, he was relaying what Beeson had told him. I do not know if Stan Johnson thinks Jesus is showing up in a spaceship. A United Press International story from July 28, 1990 provides a little more information about the final disposition of the six soldiers. They were offered the opportunity to accept an Article 15 non-judicial punishment process, which is a phrase I can never say correctly. They accepted this, and the counts of desertion were dropped in favor of a lesser charge of being AWOL. They were also charged with possession of forged leave papers. Spokespeople for the Pentagon said that the six received a general discharge from the Army, which in the words of the news article, falls between an honorable discharge and a dishonorable one. So it is a general discharge, which I looked up, did a little bit of research about this, and because I, I didn't really know much about general discharges. And, and basically, it's not an honorable discharge. It doesn't mean you necessarily it's – not, it's not dishonorable. It's not a less than honorable. It's not – you know, it's it's not something that will, you know, ruin your life. It just means that there is something about your term of service that the army is just like, thanks, but no thanks. You can leave now. Usually it's disciplinary issues, um, minor crimes that have been committed and punishments uh, meted out. And as the earlier story sort of intimated, these six people were intelligence analysts who worked with cryptological stuff. If you lose your security clearance, as they did as a result of this process, I'm not sure what you're going to do in the army and you might be discharged because basically you're laid off. It's like, look, you aren't able to do this job anymore um, based on your actions and behavior. We don't feel like completely retraining you for another job. And so let's just let's just part company. Keep this in mind 
as we go through later iterations and retelling of this story, particularly that general discharge thing. If you were reading about this in newspapers back in 1990, this is pretty much where the story ends. The six were left to go about their lives and try to rebuild them in some way. One of the interesting things about the story as presented in the media is that we don't really get a good idea of what these six people's beliefs actually were or what they were up to or what their plan was. You've got a lot of people interviewed who say what their beliefs are, but we don't – which is to say you get a lot of people interviewed who tell us what they say these six people's beliefs are. But we don't get information directly from the people involved, mostly because they were either at Fort Benning and Fort Knox and being subjected to lots of procedural stuff because they deserted. So if the story had ended there, it would probably be considered a oddball adjunct to the wider story of Gulf Breeze and the even wider story of the UFO phenomenon and belief in the phenomenon during the 1990s. But sticking with this idea of looking at what's been written and said at the time all this was going on, we can get a perspective of what some UFO-oriented people were saying during all this. And there's some out there on the bulletin board systems because those systems were very active at this time. We've talked about UFO-related bulletin board systems or BBSs before on the show, so check out the archives if you have no idea what a bulletin board system is. And I should say that, as usual, on The Saucer Life, we are not examining every syllable of everything everybody said about something. Rather, we're looking at representative examples of those things and providing a jumping-on point for people who want to lose their minds going down various rabbit holes. Now, as far as conversation within the UFO community about the situation at the same time the situation was going on in July, let's look at a July 22nd, 1990 post by one of our previous subjects of scrutiny, Bill English. English, as you may remember, was most well known for his supposed Grudge 13 report that he saw while on duty in the United Kingdom, copied down longhand, smuggled out, and then distributed despite people trying to kill him the whole time. He later largely got out of the UFO field and got involved in the right-wing militia movement in New Mexico. He also had a hilarious spat with Bill Cooper and most recently attempted to run for the New Mexico state legislature. English explains that he talked to Clifford Stone, a retired army sergeant who had become a figure in the UFO field. Stone told English that he had been stationed shortly before his retirement with the exact same unit as the Gulf Breeze 6 in Augsburg, West Germany. What are the odds? Clifford told me that on more than one occasion, the three would come to his quarters after duty hours and discuss with him the subject of UFOs, and occasionally they would call him over to the tunnels at brigade headquarters and show him bits of pieces of information they had gathered during the course of their duties that dealt specifically with UFOs. Clifford knew these people intimately for over a year. It is his contention that the story that is being publicized about them being a cult group who went AWOL to come to Gulf Breeze and meet the Antichrist on August the 6th and kill him is a bunch of crap. As it has been pointed out by various other people, it would seem that something is afoot, and the army is trying to cover it up. Either the individuals in question came across something that made them take the action they did, or the government sent them there and are covering the reason why. And on July 24, 1990, a man named Vincent T. Migliori wrote to an unnamed gentleman with his own, well, it's plural, unnamed gentlemen with his own speculations. Uh, caveat, I have no idea who Vincent T. Migliori is. If you know who he is, please let me know. Gentlemen, 
Here's an interesting little tidbit from the San Francisco Examiner, July 23, 1990. Six U.S. intelligence officers in Germany go AWOL looking for the Antichrist and wind up, of all places, in Gulf Breeze, Florida, where the well-known wave of UFO sightings is occurring. They were arrested just after the MUFON conference there. I can't help wondering if there is a connection, and, as intelligence officers, do they know something the rest of us don't know? Just speculating. Vincent should have read the newspaper articles more carefully since they were not officers but enlisted personnel. Now, as soon as the story broke, a man named Robert J. Durant of Pennington, New Jersey, wrote to the leadership of MUFON with his viewpoint. Dear MUFON, please pass this letter to your Gulf Breeze crew. I noted the enclosed article in today's New York Times, pardon my paranoia, but I believe this story is worth very careful scrutiny. Remember Watergate? The first notice in the papers was a small article about the capture of several burglars attempting to break into the Watergate Hotel Business Center in Washington, D.C. Thanks to some luck, a couple of very persistent investigative reporters and apparently some inside information, the real story came out. And out and out. Now we have a most unusual set of circumstances. I key into certain words like intelligence, van, Gulf breeze, NSA. Also of interest is the fact that there is something called Cory Station Naval Electronic Warfare Center, located within a saucer's throw of Gulf Breeze, where two of the allegedly AWOL soldiers once trained. Then, this crew of runaways happens to have four Gs in cash and is living in an apartment in, you guessed it, Gulf Breeze? With one more apology for my paranoia, let me suggest that this bunch was not AWOL at all, but on an assignment. Getting stopped by the cops somehow blew it, and now there's a frantic attempt to cover it up. Every aspect of the story needs to be followed up. It may turn out to be just as wacko and innocent as the newspaper report indicates, but there are other possibilities, and MUFON has the manpower and smarts to look into them quietly and thoroughly. There are some other interesting MUFON connections as well. On August 16, 1990, uh, after the case had been, um, had been settled, Rex Salisbury, who we heard about on the Ed Walters um, episodes, wrote a letter to the editor of the MUFON Journal with a copy to Walt Andrus describing a meeting they had in uh, in August, August 11th, with the with four of the six Gulf Breeze people. There are some interesting tidbits in this report. The six had been studying the Bible, particularly Revelations, as a loose-knit group and had become quite religious. They claimed to have not been members of any religious group or cult. Because of what were possibly paranormal events, they all suddenly got the urge at the same time to get out of Germany, which they did. They relate that similar events have continued to occur in Germany since their departure. Reports in the local media have indicated that they may have come to Gulf Breeze to meet with Ed Walters, which they firmly deny. They claimed to have had slight knowledge of Walters until they heard his comments concerning them on local TV. They claimed to have read one of Bill Cooper's reports and found in it some bearing on what they had been studying in the Bible. Because of this, they had hoped to meet with Cooper at some point to discuss this with him. They relate that the experiences which triggered their compulsion to leave Germany had nothing to do with their jobs or the U.S. Army. They claimed to have had good attitudes toward their work in the army and repeated several times that they had to leave Germany and not the army. They claimed to know nothing of a so-called end-of-the-world group. They also claimed to know nothing of the identity or location of any antichrist or anything about a scheduled rapture. They credit a misinterpretation by the sister of one of the group as the source of these errors in reporting by the media. 
I probably should have realized that Bill Cooper was going to come up in this story, but I didn't until I read some of these documents. Actually, I first noticed the Bill Cooper connection in a document we're going to be examining closer to the end of this episode. But uh, it's it's nice to see that that Bill Cooper was out there uh, with his nonsense influencing uh, deserters from the U.S. Army. Also from August of 1990, there's a letter to the editor of, I think, a, a MUFON journal um, signed by – the letter's typed, but it's signed by somebody who is – illegible. And I should say, I am getting a lot of this information from a PDF, a massive, massive 100-plus page PDF of Gulf Breeze 6 information compiled by former MUFON director and uh, all-around sharp guy, James Carrion. And I uh, found a link to that on the website of Jack Brewer, the UFO Trail, uh, another sharp guy, uh, and an article he wrote on the Gulf Breeze 6. And there will be a link to that in the show notes. So I just thought I'd mention where I got uh, where I'm getting some of this stuff from um, as I'm talking about it. But this this letter is uh, is is a little fun. Dear editor, I was pleased to read your short article regarding the six soldiers reported missing from West Germany and were apprehended in Gulf Breeze after the MUFON symposium, and closed our local news clippings regarding this interesting affair. From what I have read in between the lines, it looks as if these men discovered bits and pieces of sensitive UFO data that should not have been seen. Whatever the data was, it may have blew their minds to the point of escaping their posts. Secondly, why were the men in Gulf Breeze of all the places on this planet? True, they missed the beautiful conference, but maybe they were attempting to reach the Pensacola MUFON? The news media probably enjoyed making these soldiers into wackos, but there could be more here than meets the eye. That's not reading between the lines. That's just making things up. There was nothing to suggest any of that at all. But why else would they be in Gulf Breeze? I don't know. Maybe it's because one of the people had training there and had a friend in the area. I don't know. Maybe that would be something to do with it. (sighs) On similar lines, an August 15th letter from a, a, what's his name, Monty Canson of North Merrick, New York, to a Mr. Stacy, uh, a MUFON person. Um, yes, I, I know all of you people probably know who a Mr. Stacy associated with MUFON in 1990 was, but I do not, and I have to get this episode done. This is an interesting, uh, interesting letter. Uh, here's a bit of it. The six soldiers discharged from the army who were found in Gulf Breeze had been listening in on foreign and alien communications for the U.S. government. They became aware of the aliens' ideas and beliefs, motives, and activities by listening. Contrary to the U.S. military's intentions, these soldiers became converted to the aliens' way of thinking, which, in accordance with its own very different logic, is quite alien to earthly modes of thought, especially the values of contemporary U.S. society in general and U.S. military thinking in particular. While Gorbachev's reinterpretation of Marx's ideas had little attraction for these soldiers, they found the aliens' thoughts irresistibly beautiful. They joined the End of the World Group, which is an international organization of Earthlings who prefer the alien way of thinking to the various isms native to this planet. 
The name end of the world refers to the end of the world as we know it, the end of the earthly worldview, the end of the world of greed and strife, competition and brutality. The end of the world group looks forward to the end of this world and to the foundation of a new world order based upon alien beliefs and principles. Gulf Breeze is a center of human alien contact, and that's why the six soldiers went there. Mr. Canton's points are only slightly undermined by the fact that in the very second story about this back in July, the connection to any sort of end of the world group was disavowed and retracted. Um, But there is another little gem from Monty Canson here. Canson, not Canton, sorry. Another little gem that I think you'll enjoy. I enjoyed it. My MUFON membership is about to expire and I do not intend to renew. MUFON's obsession with the wealth and credentials of informants and experts rather than their intelligence and competence, so typical of the old dying world order, I might add, is completely unscientific and, to me, quite distasteful. However, in the interest of scientific knowledge, I felt obligated to pass the above information on to you. It is common knowledge in certain circles, of course, but your biased research methods cause you to miss so much. I really like that. Your obsession with experts and money blinds you to the truth, Buffon. I don't know. Maybe not much has changed. Obviously, I think that if those deserters had gone anywhere other than Gulf Breeze, Florida in 1990, this wouldn't have been nearly the story that it ended up being. There were lots of people out there connecting dots that might not have been there. And to be fair, those dots were scattered in the media, not necessarily by the people involved in the actual case, but others who were speculating about what their goals might be and reporting quite a bit of hearsay. So what did they believe? And how did all of this come about? We'll take a look at that after the break. I would be remiss if I didn't mention that I and my Great Lakes Lore co-host, Samantha Engel, are going to be presenting at the Strange Realities Conference on October 14th through 16th down in Nashville, Tennessee, and also streaming online. Um, We're presenting on Friday night along with friend of the show, Tim Benal, or actually following friend of the show, Tim Benal. So please check that out if uh, you're at all interested in a great lineup of speakers, including people like Tim Benal, Adam Gorightly, who we've mentioned on the show many times. Uh, there's uh, 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 John E.L. Tenney, who we've mentioned on the show. Uh, great, uh, great lineup of guests. You can check that out at strangerealitiesconference.com. And if you like The Saucer Life and you want more, you can support us in exchange for bonus content from both this show and uh, and my other show, Great Lakes Lore. Check it out at patreon.com slash chizomedia or via the link in the show notes. And you can check out past episodes at saucerlife.com or your favorite podcast app. As always, we're on Twitter and Instagram at Saucer Life, and you can email us at thesaucerlife at gmail.com. You can contact us by post at Media. P.O. Box 68, Grand Blanc, Michigan, 48480. Now, let's get to some feedback from our trio of episodes on Ed Walters' Gulf Breeze encounters. There were too many to address to collect directly, not correctly, maybe correctly, and some overlap. But I think this selection sort of gets to the guts of what most people had notions or questions or thoughts about, and these are in no particular order because I am very disorganized. 
First off, on Twitter, both Rob and Wade pointed out that the big-eyed kids' pictures that Francis Walters remembered were um, very likely about the paintings by Margaret Keene. And uh, Wade included a um, – oh, they both included pictures and links of this. And yes, these are creepy kids. These are – these are Cito's new friend level creepy kids. Uh, yes, much creepier than what did I what did I think it might be precious moments figurines or something like that. Um, yeah, yeah, I think the Margaret Keene paintings are probably what they're talking about. On uh, Patreon, uh, Laura says, "I want an Ed Walters action figure with optional UFO model." Don't we all? Uh, that would if somebody out there has connections to toy companies or toy prototyping. And wants to put together a Kickstarter for us all to get Ed Walters action figures. I would be, um, I would be all over that. Patron Kyle says, I remember reading that in one of Ed's attempted abduction experiences, the aliens beamed a slideshow of dogs into his brain, similar to the experience with nude women beamed into his brain. I've always found this puzzling, especially considering that it's clear it wasn't, it was a hoax. Did Ed want to suggest that the aliens thought he had a physical attraction to dogs? Did he want them to seem more alien by scripting, well, he seems to spend a lot of time with the female, beam him out the whole library of naked females? Well, that didn't work. Try the dogs. I just want your opinion because this has haunted me for years and I, I just want to hear an opinion. I think it's I, I think it's it's the the latter. I, I think he's trying to make them seem alien and bizarre and disturbing. Um and and it, it, there's so much of this that is that's really good that I really do like. Um and it's it's as, as at least as a story, not as a, a an attempt to get to the truth of the UFO phenomenon, but it, it's it's just very um it's just very very strange uh, some of the uh, some of the narrative choices that he made. Patron Kirk says, to my knowledge, back in Apro's heyday, there was a great deal of variety of alien types. Do Ed's descriptions hail from that era, prior to the hegemony of the Greys? The Hegemony of the Greys. That sounds like a great novel that uh, you can pick up at the uh, the discount bookstore after it gets remaindered. Or was – that was my commentary. Or was he being retro by not sticking to a primary type? That's interesting because they do have this sort of like retro blocky squared off robot sort of look uh, that's described and in the drawings. And then in the abductions book from 94, it, it seems to be a little more stereotypical gray. In a lot of cases, I, I think he was going for something a little different, something something that wouldn't immediately jump out to a reader as, oh, the guy from the cover of that communion book. So I, I think that might be what it is, kind of a kind of like like the, the, the beaming the dogs into his head, an attempt to make something different than the norm. Similar to Laura's request for an action figure over on Twitter, Black Wolf says, can we get an Ed Walters one man show or book of Ed's profanity latent monologues such as Ed Walters 60 monologues for young actors? That would be great. Uh, on Twitter, Cam Cashman says, if he's still around, I want Ed to design my house. Yeah, I mean, he he seemed to have had a a pretty good solid career. In that, I mean, not so solid that he didn't sort of jump at the chance to uh, get on the UFO train, but still, yeah, he had a he had a, a real career there. Uh, Leslie says, "What are your thoughts about photography expert Bruce Maccabee and Mufon declaring these cheap fake pictures to be authentic? I wish I could hold Mufon in higher regard, but they just embarrass themselves over and over again. Maccabee ought to know better, and that's a whole different 
issue. The pictures are difficult because the, the, the Walters pictures are a mess. There are other pictures from the sightings that aren't Ed Walters's that are really pretty interesting, but Walters has sort of dominated the scene. As far as why MUFON would go along with this, I um, I, I don't know. Uh, Walt Andrus was in charge of MUFON at the time, and if you read, I was going to say read between the lines of Jim Mosley's memoir, but you don't have to read between the lines um, at all. Uh, Andrus seemed to be very desperately clinging on to power at MUFON with a white knuckle grip, just from what I've read in various places. And I think the the, the doubling down on the authenticity of uh, of of the Walters photos, even after you know his statements and and models come out, I, I think it's about not want desperately not wanting Mufon to take the credibility hit of admitting they were duped. So instead, instead they take the credibility hit of saying that nope. They haven't been duped. Everybody else is wrong, which means at least the core of true believers is going to hang on. If you say you're duped, you lose the skeptics and the new believers. So um, I suspect it might have been kind of a cynical sort of gambit to keep as much support as possible. Another question from Twitter from Black Wolf of, is Gulf Breeze still a hot spot or is it mainly passed over as fraudulent? Well, the, the, the frustrating thing is that there were other sightings at the time and there have been other sightings since then. A little bit later in the 90s, there was another wave of sightings. Was it 97 or 98? There was another wave of sightings in Gulf Breeze that weren't related to Ed Walters at all. But everything gets painted with the Ed Walters brush, which is really kind of a shame. DJ Maynard on Facebook says, what does Wilbur have to say on the issue? Wilbur could not be reached for comment. He and Mr. Ed have been estranged since the incident in 1965. Uh, Kenny Mitchell on Facebook says, I'm sure I've seen the model spaceship on display somewhere. Did finding that model not completely destroy any last shred of legitimacy his stories might have had? <laughs> Apparently not. Uh, and and the he he sort of had this... Um, sort of out with the model that he wasn't living in the house when it was found and it was planted there. Um, if you want to believe this story enough, you find ways to overlook the model. Speaking of the model, um, Steve asks, uh, wondering if you could clarify exactly what was alleged to be found in Ed Walter's attic. Was it blueprints for a model, a model and blueprints? The allegations I've seen in media have been varying with most only mentioning a model. Okay, it's kind of weird, and I, I probably wasn't clear enough about it on the show. So what happens is there is a model that is made, and it's made from wood and paper and things like that. And part of the paper that it's made from um, were blueprints of a house that Ed was involved in building. And the date of the house that um, was part of the house whose blueprints were part of the model – uh, Ed claimed was too late for the model to have been in use when the pictures were taken. I was going to say, I hope that makes things clearer, but I don't think it does. But to, to make it as simple as I can, there was a model found. The blueprints involved were blueprints for a house, not blueprints for a model, if that makes sense. Uh, Gabriel says, one thing that strikes me about Ed Walters is how the UFO 
experience becomes for him an opportunity for wish fulfillment via a performance of masculine aggression. You see the same thing in Travis Walton's account of fending off his abductors with his wicked karate moves and failed variation of it in Jon Stewart's UFO warning in which he unsuccessfully attempts to protect his paramour slash research associate from extraterrestrial assault. Walters and Walton's stories both have a strong sense of if them aliens tried to get me, here's what I'd do. Absolutely. I I absolutely agree. And uh, into that mix, I would sort of throw uh, a guy named Daryl Sims, who styled himself the alien hunter for his uh, attempts to get them aliens that are abducting people. But yeah, very much much, uh, trying to be an action hero in a lot of ways. And and I, I didn't think about it in terms of uh, of Walter's account, uh, Walton's account, but but yeah, as well. Finally, a uh, a question, a comment, a, a a plea for help from Ryan. As a child, I recall being terrified by one particular UFO witness that I believe was on Oprah in the 90s. There are two clips on Oprah's YouTube channel of abductees from an, the episode in the mid-90s, but neither of these were the ones I remember. Your Gulf Breeze episode brought to light Ed Walter's earlier appearance on Oprah. Do you recall an Oprah guest saying that something along the lines of they were outside in their yard in broad daylight and were chased by a hairless alien dog before being abducted? I have long researched for info on this tale. I only I know this is only tangentially related to Gulf Breeze, but I figure it's now or never. Well, I mean, I barely remember it, so it could turn out to be directly related when I get the full story. Thanks. I do not, Ryan. But we've got thousands of people out there who may remember it and may have watched more Oprah than I did in the 90s. Uh, the, I, I did not watch Oprah in the 90s. You know, honestly, if I would have known there were alien abductees on it and hairless dogs, I probably would have paid more attention. So if anybody has any information on this Oprah episode with an abductee and a hairless alien dog, get in touch because that sounds uh, wild and we can help out Ryan here. All right. Thank you so much for your your feedback and questions about uh, about the Gulf the the Ed Walters experience in Gulf Breeze. Um, I think this maybe finally puts a bow on Gulf Breeze. That would be uh, that would be nice. At least once we're done with the Gulf Breeze six, who we should probably get back to now. While things might have seemed to have died down after the six were discharged, it wouldn't be long before the story resurfaced with some additional angles. Within a couple of years, one of the Gulf Breeze Six, Vance Davis, would increasingly be in the public eye with a slightly different story about what happened. In a July 27, 1992 interview with Nancy Plevin for the Associated Press, Davis revealed much about what actually happened, supposedly. The headline? Soldier gives reason he disappeared. Orders from Ouija Board. When Vance Davis and five of his friends went AWOL, it was reported that they had gone to a Florida beach to await the second coming of Jesus Christ in a UFO. No way, says Davis. How ridiculous can you get, he says. Jesus Christ is Jesus Christ. Why would he come in a flying saucer? No, says Davis. The reason they left their army intelligence posts was quite simple. Ouija board spirits told them they were needed to help lead the world through an impending cataclysm. So why speak up now? Why not right after being discharged? Because, quote, according to the Ouija board, race riots in Los Angeles were to be a signal the group should go public. The others will come forward one by one, depending on public reaction to what he has to say, end quote. 
The article recounts the basics of the story, but adds Davis's account of why all of this might have happened in the first place. Davis said, We decided to do some experimentation into things. We wanted to see if there was something actually to it. ESP, parapsychology, ghosts, tarot cards. Nothing really worked until they tried a Ouija board. And then Davis explained, someone showed up. I'm talking spiritually. The story of what happened next became part of an investigation into Ouija boards on the Fox program Sightings. And it's nice to hear the voices of the people involved in these things sometimes. You're going to hear from Vance Davis and you're going to hear from Annette Eccleston, who by the time the show is recorded was going as uh, Annette Levesque. Perhaps the most bizarre case involving the use of a Ouija board occurred two years ago in Augsburg, Germany. Six U.S. Army enlisted personnel, analysts with high-level security clearances, claim messages from a Ouija board encouraged them to risk their careers and imprisonment to carry out the directions of the board. Only now have two members of the group agreed to come forward. Basically went to the Ouija board out of frustration to find answers about ourselves and other things. Davis claims the Ouija board's responses were almost immediate and that they spelled out the details of impending worldwide disasters. In a period of about six months, we really only used the board seven times. The entities predicted to us the Gulf War in May of 1990, three months before it happened. As we got more involved with using the board, the information that we had received reached levels beyond our imagination. Over a six-month period, the group recorded predictions that foretold increasingly catastrophic events. They believe the Ouija board was also urging them to leave Germany and warn people about these disasters. We were told by the spirits to leave. The phenomenal part of this whole situation is that we as a group got together and in only seven sessions, we had enough information that convinced us that we needed to leave. On July 3rd, 1990, all six soldiers went AWOL. Their desertion triggered a worldwide manhunt, and law enforcement agencies around the world were told to treat the deserters as if they were terrorists. In July of 1990, a group of soldiers stationed in Germany uh, left their posts and came to see me in Gulf Breeze to discuss their paranormal experiences. I found that their experiences primarily had to do with the Ouija board. Within days, the six soldiers were arrested in Gulf Breeze, Florida by local authorities working with the FBI and military police. They were charged with espionage and taken to Fort Knox, Kentucky for interrogation. We considered ourselves dead, gone. Uh, we would not be seen again by our families and, and they had the same feelings. But that was not what happened. After the soldiers were interrogated, the case took a bizarre twist. In a break with standard procedure, the Army decided to release all six soldiers with honorable discharges. Was there a connection between the unprecedented discharges and the Ouija board's predictions? All of our predictions were documented. The uh, military confiscated all of our written notes after we were captured uh, two and a half years ago. So the government knows that our predictions are extremely accurate, but for them to admit that publicly, of course, is a different matter. Okay, so a couple of things there. One, these are predictions of the future, and they're ones that have come true. The Gulf War, the L.A. riots, all kinds of interesting things. Can't wait to get to those writings that they have that are clearly dated 
ahead of time in 1990 and can be used to easily prove that these predictions actually did occur. So that's one thing that's interesting. The other thing that's interesting, and this is something that was in that AP interview with Vance Davis as well, is the claim that they were honorably discharged. And that is a claim that is going to be made over and over again as one of the reasons why what they're saying is true. Because if the government hadn't known that there was something to what they were doing and that it was of vital importance, why would they have gotten honorably discharged? Well, the answer is they weren't honorably discharged. They received general discharges, which are not dishonorable, but they are not honorable. There are Negatives to getting a general discharge. You may not be eligible for certain GI benefits. You might not be able to serve on veterans commissions. You might not be able to re-enlist. You do get your VA benefits, disability, health care, things like that. But it's not an honorable discharge. And to say it is, is kind of shady. In any case, back to the Ouija board and this, you know, force or intelligence that told them what was going to happen and that they communicated with. It's not aliens necessarily, but it is an alien-like contact perhaps, an encounter with some kind of exotic other. What might it have been? What power did the group really tap into? Was it their collective unconscious at work or were otherworldly spirits using the soldiers as a conduit for their cataclysmic predictions? What people tap into. This is Anna a Foster lot of the times talking when they're here. experiencing a real negative phenomena with the board is what we call inferior spirits or low-level intelligence. These are people, entities, animals who have not migrated to the next level of life. So losers, apparently, or people who have not migrated, spirits or beings. The short answer is um, Anna Foster here is, is not entirely sure what they're talking to. So what sorts of disasters might be coming? Davis and Levesque expanded on that a little bit. And Davis in particular talked about why he felt a drive to sort of get this information out there. We were six people from different backgrounds and different beliefs that came together and experienced the same kind of phenomena. If I could make a difference in the world, and if meaning going AWOL and giving my life for that would make a difference, then to me that's a good sacrifice. And I was willing to sacrifice that. Also, I felt the information we were getting was important enough not to be hidden. If there's a possibility of it happening, people need to be told. So far, the group's predictions have been startlingly accurate. If their accuracy continues into 1993, they could be tracking worldwide disaster. The entities that spoke to us on the Ouija board predicted the LA riots two years before they happened. Looting and rioting did occur in Los Angeles two years after the group's original prediction. And their predictions for the coming year? Future predictions the entities made to us included a major earthquake in California in 93, with a magnitude of approximately 8.3. A major earthquake in Seattle in 93, which will trigger the eruption of Mount Rainier. A major gas leak and explosion in New York City in 93. Uh, also the collapse of European royalty in 93. The forming of the United States of Europe in 93. As we're going to see, far more predictions would be forthcoming. But what's the end game here? What are they trying to do? What's going to happen after all of these catastrophes happen? 
Back in the AP interview, Davis said, quote, when all this occurs, we'll be gone again. The six of us will be somewhere else. People will be looking for us and they won't be able to find us. After the thing occurs, we'll come back out again to help put the pieces back together. So Davis and the Gulf Breeze Six are predicting our catastrophes, but they will also help save us from them. But then at the very end, there's some other indication of what Davis's motivation might be. But meanwhile, Davis says, the group may write a book, follow up on a possible movie deal, and if offered, do an advertisement for Parker Brothers, maker of the Ouija board. Come on now, y'all know what's coming. You can't deny that this phrase is running through your head right at this very moment. UFO might just as well stand for unprecedented financial opportunity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know there aren't technically UFOs involved, but the the awful sort of stink of the UFO Gulf Breeze thing is, is hanging heavy over this. Uh, like I said earlier, if these people were to turn up in Birmingham, Alabama, I, I don't think there would have been nearly as much fuss as there was. So that's what was going on on television and in that AP interview. But there's also official documentation about the Army's investigation, which was declassified in 1992 and included in a book that we're going to be talking about. The origins of all this are a bit convoluted in this story. And to my mind, the most pertinent documents are affidavits from Vance Davis, Annette Eccleston, and Kenneth Beeson, as well as the summary of the investigation that was done by the Army. Vance Davis, in his affidavit, explains that his decision to go AWOL was based on messages and instructions from the spirit world that he received via the Ouija board. He says that when he was a teenager, he realized he had special powers related to parapsychology. He took mind control courses, he said, and in later interviews and and talks, we learned that this was the Silva mind control system available at better bookstores and on Amazon.com. As an aside, I attempted to engage in the Silva mind control system, and like anything that even approaches self-hypnosis – it mostly resulted in me just falling asleep or getting bored. So later in Germany in the army, um, Davis and Beeson, um, who was in his unit, experimented with a Ouija board that that Beeson basically had purchased mostly to disprove its power. Davis said, let's try a Ouija board. Beeson said, no, I don't think Ouija boards are anything, but I'll buy one to prove to you I'm right. It turns out, as Davis said, that the Ouija board is totally legit, and it provided information that corroborated visions that Davis said he himself had been having for a while, that there would be a Middle Eastern terrorist attack on the East Coast in 1990. He didn't know what the targets were. He believed there were four of them or so. Davis and his associates decided that they had to, on the advice of the Ouija board, leave, take off, head to the United States to warn authorities about these attacks. He doesn't mention all of the other predictions that he would mention later, interestingly, but he does assert that he had never removed any classified materials and that he never shared or showed classified materials with or to anyone. Annette Eccleston's affidavit is the shortest of them, and in it she basically goes over the timeline of going to the United States, uh, Tennessee, Florida, their capture and everything like that. She also explains very, very clearly that her reasoning for leaving without authorization was in order to, in her words, fulfill God's will. 
She explains that she did not remove, steal, or share any classified information because none of the classified information available had anything to do with their mission from God. Now, Beeson's affidavit was longer than Davis's or Eccleston's and provides a bit more detail. Beeson explains that he had experienced psychic and supernatural phenomenon since he was a child. When he was a child of five years old, a ghost appeared and gave him a glass of water, which seems pretty nice, actually. And he was having dreams that were sent as visions from God. But he also began to believe or wonder if these dreams or visions might have roots in the paranormal and psychic energy as well as being spiritual. So he and Davis and some other of their group in, in Gulf Breeze began to explore different means of divination, spiritual divination, psychic readings, and things like that. And then they hit on the Ouija board, which she was skeptical of at first. But then when they began using it, he says, they came into the presence of a spiritual being called Sapphire. And Sapphire explains to them what's going on and horrible things that are going to happen. And based on this, they make the decision to leave. When they left, they placed a letter in each of their quarters that would be found by investigators. The letter explains things even more clearly. Maybe. You be the judge. To whom it concerns, we are of sound mind and spirit. You will want to hide this letter, but we recommend that it be forwarded to the highest possible command. The following letter may sound wild. But what was said about the apostles in Christ's time, for it is said, in the end, young men will see visions of that to come and hide themselves away for the battle. May you understand and take warning in this. Time has come for a decision to be made, and they made theirs. Their works will be known throughout the lands, and many will be murdered for knowing them. You will search for these and thousands more like them, but you will be searching for naught, for God takes care of his elect and those that follow them. Please take heed to the warning mentioned above. These people that you will hunt for is but a shadow to blind eyes. You will find traces of the wind which hides their very lives for you who believe and will carry God's death to the those of evil heart. You of the world, listen carefully. The time is now to wake up your spirits and heed the warning. I'm the last to speak to you ever. Now the elect take over the mission of the apostles. These twelve who are true to the gospel of Christ, these you must search and find. The Spirit will guide you for safety to the hidden places by God. Surely they have ran upon God's orders and will be written in the book of life. And it was said in the end that a great shout would be heard around the land, then all would see the trembling of the great king of the whore. Then from the heart cometh a great cry of the chosen of God and the mighty warriors led by them. From the earth cometh the elect to render the great king a murderous heart toward the one called Jesus. Fire shall not touch those pure of heart and soul when the great king falls to him, and the mouth of God came open and swallowed those wicked of spirit and those not believing the truth of the seven thunders of the seven angels. For the end, and I have heard not the thunders spoken to me. Now we say farewell till that time of the new earth and city. Oh yes, it's all it's all it's all very clear now. Um, it's it's like Book of Revelation fan fiction. It, it makes almost no sense. I, the most we can get out of it, I think, or the most I can get out of it, is a sense that we've got reasons for going. There's bad stuff coming, but we're the good guys, and we are going to take care of all these things, 
and everything will be fine. But boy, that uh, that did not clarify things to me. I I do not believe it's very clear at all. So there's something else left in the quarters of the people who left the base in Augsburg, West Germany in July of 1990. And if we look at some of the reports from the army that are reproduced in a certain book that I will talk about in a little bit, we can see that um, there might have been more of a UFO connection between the Gulf Breeze 6 and what they were doing than it might have looked from the newspaper reports. There's more to it than the Gulf Breeze connection. I, I think Gulf Breeze might have been just a place they went because Ken Beeson had a friend there, as we're going to find out. But and as we've already heard, actually, but it's it's not Gulf Breeze flying saucers that people are. That's the wrong connection. Something different is going on. Part of the Army report talks about an event at the end of June that Ken Beeson and Vance Davis visited. So for most of the report, they're talking about the Ouija board experiences, and it's things like they're talking to a spirit named Sapphire. They think they might be talking to the Virgin Mary and the apostles, hence the apostle references in the letter they left. But there is something else going on here. Sometime in June 1990, while Beeson and Davis were looking for the location of a new wave store, they came across a flyer advertisement for a 27 June 1990 convention in Munich, Germany about the Ashtar Command. The group's communications with the spirits revealed that there were alien beings in outer space and on Earth who had a role in the rapture and biblical description about the end of the world. The alien beings on Earth tend to have an evil role and have the ability to take on a human appearance. Some of the world's leaders may actually be evil alien beings in disguise. The aliens in outer space tend to have a good role and will come to Earth to rescue God's chosen. All right, yes, so Ashtar Command shows up, which is absolutely phenomenal. Now, to be clear, in the file itself, and this is a a, what I have is a, a reproduction of it, or like a, a photocopy of it. It uh, actually is is about the Ash Ashtarian command, and it says in parentheses phonetics. So, but I think it's I think it's Ashtar. So while at this convention, they get in touch with a German national identified only as Gabrielle. And she ran the conference when she discovered that. Beeson and Davis were in the military, quote, she asked them if they were familiar with the Cooper report. When Beeson and Davis said they were not, Gabrielle explained that she assumed they would know about this report since they possessed top secret security clearance. <laughs> when I first read that, I laughed so hard because it's like, here's this, this woman in Germany, this Gabrielle in Germany. It's like, oh, you're high ranking military people or you're highly, you know, um, cleared military people well you must have read the cooper report which is interesting there's there's a new there's a number of of cooper reports so it talks about the the cooper report and the crash saucers and, and cover-ups and things so what's interesting is they have a copy of the cooper report they notice coincidences they notice parallels with the book of revelation and and things that that they've heard from the spirits relating to the aliens and spirits and the Antichrist. And what they do is they, they want to make sure that 
people, the people above them who investigate their desertion from the base in Augsburg take things seriously. And they want to make sure that the Cooper report and the letter that they wrote that we heard a little bit ago are found and, and, you know, taken care of. So what do they do to ensure that their, their writings and these documents are not you know, discarded or overlooked? Well, they do this. Realizing the extraordinary and unusual nature of this information, the group wanted to make sure the U.S. Army Command would take this message seriously and avoid having some low-ranking person throw this information away as religious nonsense. For this reason, the group purchased a stamp that they could compose their own words and fashion the label, quote, Top Secret Magic, unquote. Only the Cooper Report was stamped in red on the top and bottom of each page with Top Secret Magic classification markings. Beeson did not know if Top Secret Magic was an actual classification marking. They chose the word magic because it was the project name for the U.S. government project concerning UFOs. Beeson understood the nature of classification markings and use of code words in sensitive, compartmentalized information. He understood the sensitivity of code words and knew the code words themselves were classified. They bought a rubber stamp. They wrote Top Secret Magic on it and stamped the top and bottom of each page of Bill Cooper's report so people wouldn't throw it out as something crazy. This might be the greatest thing I've ever read in my entire time doing, I was going to say in my entire life, that is not true, in my entire time doing this podcast. So clearly there is some alien belief crossover with the Gulf Breeze 6, even though it doesn't really have much to do with Gulf Breeze apart from some personal connections people had to the area. One last thing that connects sort of alien culture things to all of this Gulf Breeze 6 stuff. In the official report, we learn the following about Ken Beeson. Personal interviews of Beeson's co-workers and one off-duty associate revealed he was a member of a group who believed the army was in Europe for reasons involving contact with aliens. The group was going into hiding and would surface to eliminate the non-believers. Beeson was paranoid and living in a dream world that involved aliens and UFOs. Beeson believed the U.S. government was in contact with aliens who they were providing humans for experimentation and the Antichrist was coming to Earth. Beeson also believed the U.S. established a joint moon base on the far side of the moon with good aliens. Beeson practiced hypnotism, but not the use of a Ouija board or tarot cards because they would draw evil spirits. It certainly sounds like the person we talked about near the beginning of the program who said that Beeson had a, a predilection to believe anything anybody told him about anything, especially about aliens, science fiction, things like that, might have been on the right track. So where do we go from here? Well, on our next episode, we continue the story of the Gulf Breeze 6 with a closer focus on Vance Davis, who we heard from the Sightings TV show. We're going to be looking at Vance Davis's appearances on Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell in 1994 and 1998. And significantly, we are going to be looking at his book, that I got these things from because he provided an appendix with all of the documentation about this case. The book is called Unbroken Promises, 
a true story of courage and belief. And it is Vance Davis' story of his life and the saga of the Gulf Breeze 6. And that is what we'll look at next time on The Saucer Life. Thanks for listening. Remember to send in questions and comments via the usual social media or email channels. We'll address those next time when we finish up Vance Davis and the Gulf Breeze 6, which is a great name for a band, Vance Davis and the Gulf Breeze 6. Our associate producer is Simpson J. Hanover III, and The Saucer Life is a production of Chizo Media, LLC. Chizo Media, our heart is with the people. Till next time, keep watching the skies, because the skies are watching you.